CBDC. The Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. We are so excited to share a new podcast series joining the Startup Canada Podcast Network, born out of the Rural on Purpose host takeover in April. Shauna Ray, founder of media company Radar Media and career-long broadcast journalist, will be taking a weekly dive into the topic of rural entrepreneurship across Canada in the all-new Rural Women Podcast. Follow along for updates at startupcan.ca. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Ravimbo Chamudsa on our show today. Ravimbo is the founder of the Grace and Nelly Project and GNN Healthier, Happier Periods. Born and raised in Zimbabwe, she moved to Canada at the age of 19 to continue her tertiary education and discovered she could still make an impact on the lives of those in her home country thousands of miles away. She obtained her Juris Doctor in 2012 and was called to the bar in the province of Manitoba in October 2013. She recently completed a Master's of Management, Innovation, and Entrepreneurship program with the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. Ravimbo is a passionate advocate for women's rights, and in particular, menstrual rights. In 2016, having seen some of the struggles of girls and women in Zimbabwe, she and a group of friends started the Grace and Nelly Project. She named the organization after her grandmothers, who taught her that financial independence for women was freedom and the opportunity to pursue one's dreams. They also taught her the importance of community and uplifting others, especially those who are often forgotten. The Grace and Nelly Project's aim is to create opportunities and platforms for girls and women living in rural communities in Zimbabwe to help them achieve financial independence and access opportunities that are otherwise out of their reach. Welcome to the show, Ravimbo. Oh, thank you so much, Kayla. Delighted to be here. Likewise, likewise. So, Ravimbo, what is the most important thing that you want our audience on the Startup Women podcast to take away from today's interview? I think if there's anything anyone should take away, it's to think of period poverty not just as an issue about menstrual health or menstrual hygiene, 
or even just an issue about access to menstrual products. It's it's much bigger than that. It's a complicated issue. It's a symptom of a myriad of factors, including gender inequality, poverty, lack of opportunities for women worldwide. And, you know, when we think of period poverty, when we think of menstrual rights, because I like to call it menstrual rights, you know, let's think of all the things that are causing that, right? Let's think of the things that are bringing us to the point where we have women and young girls who don't have access to menstrual products. So just thinking of ways of how are our approaches to tackling period poverty? How are they holistic? How are they taking all of this into mind? And how are they actually ta tackling the issue as opposed to, you know, giving the young girls or giving the women something to tie them over until the next period? So that's really the main thing, if anything else, out of what I say today, um, that I think is really important is just to remember that our approaches to tackling period poverty have to be wide range and have to think of all the different issues. I can't wait to get into this into more detail um, on uh, on this topic in particular. But let's let's peel it back a little bit further. Take us on your journey personally. Uh, what was your entrepreneurial kind of aha moment when it came to founding the Grace and Nelly Project um, and GNN Happier or Healthier Happier Periods? Bring us back to the very beginning. Oh my goodness. So I have never thought of myself as an entrepreneur and now I laugh hysterically whenever <laughs> I think about it. But um, I always thought of myself as a person who was going to end up in the international development field. I, as a little girl growing up, I was like, yeah, I want to work for the UN or the Red Cross or some other large multinational, you know, organization. And fast forward to coming to Canada in 2009 and I started my education and ended up in law school. I don't really know how, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was just, it just happened. And so I just, I, I enjoyed what, you know, what I was learning. I got a job. I was feeling, was feeling good about myself, you know, in terms of where I had arrived in life, but kept thinking about the little girl in me, you know, who wanted to make a difference. And mm -hmm. so I just, I was like, okay, I need to do something. And I have one friend who always said, you know, if not now, then when, right? Because mm. I would always tell her, I was like, stuff is happening back home and I just don't know what to do. I don't think I'm in, you know, intelligent enough. I don't think I know enough about how to deal with the issues. Just like do something. And so, you know, as you were saying in the intro, 2016, I was like, okay, guys, I literally was telling my friends, you know, we're in our 20s, just hanging out, enjoying life. I'm like, let's do this thing. And they were like, okay. Um, like, yeah, let's provide menstrual products to girls in Zimbabwe. And I remember it was really eye-opening for them in terms of um, that period of poverty was an issue. It had been eye-opening for me because when I'd have originally thought of starting this organization, it was like, okay, you know, we're going to build wells or something like that. And it was the discovery that they were young girls like me. There were women like me who just, you know, every month had nothing. I was like, what? Um, so the, the aha moment, if um, I had an aha moment, I feel like it's just been an ongoing one, was just how can we provide these girls with something now, you know, to help them now? But how can we make sure that we can sustain this? You know, how can we make sure that okay, we give these girls menstrual pads, we give them reusable menstrual pads because they last longer and we can provide more for more girls. But how can we make sure that we're making more of an impact, right? And so I'd, I'd grown up watching my parents start a business from scratch. Um, they're in the hotel and um, the tourist industry, basically, and how 
they employed women and most of the women they employed, they didn't know how to read. They didn't know how to write. They employed them to do, you know, the cleaning, to do the beds, um, the basic stuff. And, but it was seeing the transformation in those women from when they, you know, started to do that job to the end when, you know, now they wore makeup, which for some of us, we might not think of makeup in an empowering manner. It's just like, Oh, you know, it's something you do for vanity, but there was a sense of empowerment in that, you know, that they, they were like, I want to look beautiful. I want to look a certain way. I'm going to put on some lipstick and it makes me feel proud of myself. And I purchased the lipstick and I did this for myself. So anyway, I can ramble on, but, um, it was seeing that and remembering that, that I was like, we can't just be a not-for-profit organization that's providing the pads to the girls. We need to do something more. We need to provide the women with employment. We need to do something that's going to generate, you know, business in the community so that we are giving the women the ability to purchase the products themselves. Like that's mm. the win for us. It's not just being able to give the girls the pads, but giving the girls the ability and the opportunity to purchase the pads themselves. Now that's the empowerment we're going for. And that that's kind of the aha moment as it were. Um, so that's, that's my journey of just discovering or figuring out how to, or at least I hope we figured out how to best help the women in the communities. Amazing. Amazing. And it's almost sort of twofold that you, you're solving these two very important problems. One on this, um, you know, financial independence side, which I definitely want to get into some more detail with, um, but around, um, you know, menstrual poverty and, and the, the, the huge um, both opportunity to make a meaningful impact, but also, you know, th- these compelling statistics that, that we're seeing uh, in preparation for today's conversation that, you know, over 500 million menstruators worldwide do not have access to adequate menstrual products, like 500 million women, like, for, yeah. and then, you know, your website also indicates that in Zimbabwe specifically, 72% of menstruating school age girls cannot afford menstrual, product, menstrual products of any, any type. Um, mm-hmm. which is, is, you know, a very compelling statistic, obviously. When, when you think around period poverty, how do you think that this plays a role in intensifying gender inequalities? What role does that play, both of what you're saying in Zimbabwe, but globally, um, when we look at gender equity and um, gender inequalities that could be exacerbated here? It, it's an issue of participation, right? Like participation mm. in the education system. If a young girl is missing, you know, depending on her particular period, you know, between three to seven or eight days of the year, if you're missing school because you're on your period, how, what kind of education are you getting, right? Mm. Um, and we found that, you know, adding to the statistics you have, about 5%, you know, a study found about 5% of girls in Zimbabwe had dropped out because of period poverty. So, you know, these girls, they don't want to continue their education because they don't have access to the products. They're frustrated. So their ability to pursue a higher education, you know, to finish high school, to get to university, it's it's impacted, which means you're now impacting their ability to participate, you know, in economic, the economic world. You know, they are, the jobs they can get are not the same as if they're able to go to university, Women, you know, and then it's a dignity issue, right? If you feel dirty and unhygienic, if you're being forced to use, for some of the women we've talked to, old rags, you know, you're just, or some people call it free bleeding, you tend to feel a certain way about yourself, right? That's going to 
affect how you interact with other people, how you participate in life. So it's a major, major factor in terms of women's ability, young young girls and young women's ability to participate socially, economically. And it's just, it's heart-wrenching, right? Like um, when you think about those numbers, right? 500, and it's over 500 million um, menstruators worldwide are experiencing this. And those are the ones we know, right? It's, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's oh, sorry, I get really emotional when I of course. think about this, but it's it's such an impact, and it's why talking about it more is so important. Mm-hmm. Especially within a North American context as well, you know, we, we uh, might not be thinking about this in our day to day. That mm-hmm. um, you know, we need to be very aware of this global challenge that we can play an active part in in supporting, mm-hmm. uh, but not just from you know the product itself, uh, but the conditions in which the product can sit in and this sort of larger impact that you're making, um, which is so incredible to, to to see. One other part that I find so inspiring is is your innovative business model for G and healthier, happier products that um, for your reusable pads, you're also sourcing materials from local producers in Zimbabwe um, and are employing women in those communities. Um, And in addition to that, you're considering the customer location and the financial position in your pricing model, which is so innovative and not something you often hear. Um, So tell us how you came to this pricing model. Perhaps you can explain what this looks like to our listeners um, and walk us through any roadblocks that you experienced along the way to creating this sort of disruptive structure that accommodates, you know, the audience that you're trying to serve? Um, that is an excellent question. Um, so one, <laughs> one the, the main reason is we communicate with the women in the communities we work with. That is something that when we started the Grace and Ellie project, we said we would always do is try and have that continual dialogue. So we're not enforcing something upon them. And so, you know, during one of these conversations, I was asking them, you know, what what would you pay for a menstrual product that works, right? You know, what is your ability to pay? I had those conversations with them. What are you currently using? You know, if you can afford it, how much are you paying? And, you know, from that discussion, it was it was amazing because I was talking to 20 women. They all live in rural communities. And they collectively were like, I think we could do $1.25. And it was like $1.25. And that's like $1.25 US. And like, yeah, if, you know, pads work, they're going to last me more than a year. I could do $1.25. So it's interesting because they're saying they can do $1.25, which sounds really, really cheap. But then you think about, so reusable menstrual pads cost about $5, about $5 to manufacture in Zimbabwe. This is using local products, ETC. And so for us as a business, as a company, we're like, okay, the women have told us they can afford $1.25. We need to get it down to $1.25, a dollar or less, whatever we can get it to. How can we get there? So we're like, okay, what... What can we do? How can we subsidize this product? And so we're like, wait, we are in Canada. The Grace and Ellie project is started in Canada. We could sell products here in Canada at a higher price and use that money to subsidize the pads that are being sold in Zimbabwe, right? So mm-hmm. here as a consumer, you're paying a little bit more. When I say a little bit more, it's quite a bit more than the $1.25. Um, so the $1.25 is for a pack of five pads in Zimbabwe, you're paying, Zimbabwe, here in Canada, you're paying about $65 for the starter kit. So it's a big difference, but a person here is more likely to be able to afford that $65 for the pads that are going to last them, you know, a long time. And these are reusable. So, you know, it's like, it's not a one and done, but 
that money you paid, you bought something, you purchased something, you use it, it's good for you, it's good for the environment. But it also means that a woman back home in Zimbabwe can get a job, right? Because now we're hiring these women to make these reusable menstrual pads and she can now afford to buy these pads for that dollar twenty-five that, you know, she can afford. She has the confidence, the, you know, the joy and empowerment that comes from I purchased this for myself versus someone gave it to me. Because that was something the women were adamant about when I spoke to them and other people I've spoken to is that they don't want you to just come and give them the pads. It's like they want to buy them. They've said, you know, I just want a job. You know, I want a job. I want a skill set. I want to be able to walk into a store, buy a product that I can afford that works for me. And, you know, they kept saying, if you can give that to me, I will give you that dollar twenty-five. It's still a lot of money for them. Like, I will emphasize that because, um, you know, these are women in rural communities, hard hit by um, poverty. But they they still are like, if it works, I want it. And so that's kind of how we got to the, you know, pay what you can based upon where you live, the country you live in. and And even now, like the $65, we're trying to, we're still new, so as a company, we still figure things out. But if we can even get that price point in Canada to be lower, because we understand that even here in Canada, there are women who are facing, you know, period poverty. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, how can we make sure that everyone in the chain is getting something that they can afford, right? Reusables are already much cheaper than disposables, just in terms of their longevity, um, you know, disposables, you're using it, you're done. Even if it's $4 a pack, $5 a pack, it's not going to last you very long, right? So it's, I don't know, I get really excited talking about this, but that's kind of how we ended up with the business model we have. And, you know, we love it, we're excited. And the roadblocks we've experienced are, of course, COVID has slowed everything down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we trained the women. So the pads we're making and selling right now in Canada actually made through a manufacturing partner, here in Winnipeg, um, they call the Cutting Edge, and we love working with them because they work with immigrant and refugee women, which is fantastic because again, it fits our um, business model. So these immigrant and refugee women have been taught how to make our pads that are being sold here in Canada, and then we've started the training as well in Zimbabwe. The women who are going to be making um, the menstrual pads, so they've done the initial training, but because of the consistent lockdowns that have been happening, they've had to halt um, the training, but I'm super hopeful that we can get them started in January so to start, you know, making those pads and then start selling them across the entire country. It's it's our dream to just have our pads everywhere and have these women, you know, have pads. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I think it, there are so many lessons here to also extrapolate for any type of business that these these in-depth consultations that you've done with your consumers who are at two different sort of stages or two different, um, you know, buying sort of parameters, like they, they are two totally different audience sets, but your whole process in developing something that is going to work um, and enable all of this additional change has been so consultative, which I think is a really important lesson for listeners. Um, you have to be judicious about understanding what mm-hmm. people need at what price point um, and really coming back to those conversations often as you're building your business and as it evolves. Um, so I think that one is very important. Um, that's a very important consideration. 
Um, and then two, it, I love the creativity behind this business model as well, that, that you're approaching it from a really unique lens um, that I think from just a, an inspirational creative quality is, is great <laughs> for our listeners too, that you can make these things work in various models. Nothing mm-hmm. is telling you that you have to do something a particular way. Um, that's entrepreneurship, right? Just being disruptive and um, you know making things work in, in different ways to solve huge global challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes this type of bold thinking to make a real impact. Oh, wow. That's That makes me feel really good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You are so welcome. (laughs) So for other social impact entrepreneurs that are listening to today's conversation or that are thinking around aligning to a sustainable development goal or building some type of social enterprise, what are some of the key pieces of advice that you would give them um, in making long lasting and sustainable change in their sectors? You know, I think everybody is looking for, you know, green options and, and, you know, we see this whole shift in greenwashing and then, um, you know, we see these movements that aren't actually backed by impact. How do you really stay true to the long lasting and sustainable change that you're trying to make in your business? I think you have to really look at kind of take tacking on what you just said really what does the consumer need right at the end of the day as long as you're addressing what the consumer needs in a way that in a way that truly takes into account all the needs of the consumer so for us with our business model it's it's a blessing in a way that we are also an environmentally conscious business, right? We looked at what is something that is a long lasting product for the consumer, right? The consumer doesn't want something that they can use and throw away. They want something that'll last them a long time because that's something that's more affordable. It also happens that what is more affordable is also environmentally friendly, right? Mm -hmm. So that has sustainable impact, not only in terms of the consumer, right? Or in terms of the person making the product, they have gainful employment but it has an impact on the environment. And I think when we talk to not just the consumers here in Canada, but the consumers back home in Zimbabwe, when we tell them that the product you're using is also good for the environment, then it's like, oh, really? Well, that's awesome, right? And it's we went into it wanting to do something that was good for the environment, but our first step was, okay, what is the best thing for the consumer? How do we make sure that the business model is sustainable? And how do we make sure that in making sure that 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 business model is is sustainable while also doing something that is good for the environment, the community, ETC. And it was by looking at all of these different factors that we think we found something that is truly sustainable, right? It's not just thinking of, okay, I'm only going to deal with the environment and that's it, or Mm -hmm. I'm only going to deal with periods and that's it. We looked at the whole gambit, right? It's like when you Think of the sustainable development goals. There's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love filling in proposals or uh, different things when I do that because I'm like, I can take so many of these, you know? <laughs> <laughs> because, um, and it's not necessarily that we set out to just fit one box. It's because we really wanted to do something that was beneficial and sustainable. And it was by doing that research, having those consultations that we got to a solution that we think if it works, which I think it will, um, will truly be sustainable. It'll just keep going on and on, on its own. And that that's the piece of advice I would give, you know, is I think those consultations, that knowledge building is so important. 
Mm. And is there any lesson in this this journey in solving such a large problem that also has such a large secondary <laughs> challenge in terms of sustainable <laughs> development? Um, mm-hmm. Is there any big lesson that you've learned along the way that you've either learned sort of the hard way or that you would caution an aspiring woman identifying entrepreneur as they're entering into entrepreneurship that, you know, what was the one thing that I wish I had known at the beginning of my business? Oh, my goodness. Um, for me, it's asking for help Mm. this and and there's so many other issues but I've realized that I've taken the hard route in so many different ways because I didn't take the time to ask people who had gone through this before you know to reach out to people on LinkedIn I am so surprised how many times I reach out to people and they respond and they're like Mm. yeah sure I'll only help you and it was this feeling of like, you know, I'm the only one on this journey, you know, myself and um, the other board members, we felt like, oh, you know, we're, the, we're just fighting this, we're in the trenches. And we forgot that, especially in the menstrual health, menstrual rights area field, there's so many different organizations with so many different levels of expertise. Mm. And instead of viewing them as competitors, what we needed to at the very beginning was view them as allies, mm-hmm. right? And talk to them. Like I've talked to people in the exact same space. I remember the when I decided or when we decided that we wanted to do this, I contacted a woman here in Winnipeg who makes and sells reusable pads. And she described to me like her whole process. Like I had no idea how to make reusable pads at that point. And she told me this is what you do. This is who you get material from. You know, you do X, Y, Z and talk to people back in Zimbabwe. They should help you, you know, find people. And it was, that was eye opening, right? If I'd gone to her sooner, because at first I was like trying to find things on Google, which is great, but (laughs) you know, those conversations one-on-one. So really, again, I, I can't emphasize it enough is don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to ask help, even from the people you think are your competitors, because especially in the social impact space, mm-hmm. I think all of us are just, just looking to make a difference in the world versus, you know, we want that money. So it's, you know, I and for myself, I tell everybody, if there's anything I can help with, please, please, please call me, contact me, whatever. Because as an organization, we've received so much help from people. And it's just, it's amazing. That's powerful. And I think you've, you've raised an excellent point that specifically within the social impact community, we are all trying to align to solve the world's biggest problems. That if we are, you know, replicating or duplicating efforts or having this competitive approach, we will ultimately yeah. not be able to solve those problems as efficiently, as quickly. Um, like it's in our collective best interest trying to solve these problems to do so and to go through this together. Um, that that is such a unique entrepreneurship community that, you know, entrepreneurs are intrinsically, I think, very helpful. And, and, and that's sort of a myth that we often debunk. But specifically social impact entrepreneurs. There's something really special there. Yeah, that's so true. So, so true. So any final takeaways, Ravimbo? I think we've covered a lot of ground in today's episode, (laughs) but anything you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Any calls to action, how they might be able to get involved, um, or final pieces of advice? Oh my goodness, so many things. Uh, No, um, (laughs) please, please, please visit thegracenellyproject.org, visit shop.com graceandnelly.org. Learn about us. Learn about the pads we are selling. Um, all our pads have unique designs right now. Our We're basically running our pilot. They're beautiful giraffes. Um, I had one lady go, so you mean I'm menstruating on giraffes? I'm like, yeah, isn't that awesome? <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, 
we're working on new designs. So, and I'm hopeful that we'll have new designs by January. We really want to have just a celebration of the African culture, of the Zimbabwean culture, and of who we are as people. And we want that to come across in the brand. So, you know, learn more about us um, if you are wanting to help out because there are many shelters. Shelters are always in need of prayer products. I'm always going to say, you know, buy the Gracinelli pads first. But mm. if you would like to donate disposables, menstrual cups, whatever you have, go to your, your local shelter. They're always in need of menstrual products, right? It's not just Zimbabwe. It's not just Canada. It's worldwide. So whatever you can do, um, do that. And, you know, learn about menstrual rights. Talk about it. That's one of the things I talk about periods all the time. I've made some people very uncomfortable, <laughs> but I'm like, you know, it's, it's important. We can fix the problem if we don't talk about it, right? Like I, I had one particular bad experience where I had a speaking engagement rescinded because I refused to talk about anything other than menstrual rights and menstrual health. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. We need to talk about this. This is the only way things get better. So talk to people around you about menstrual health, menstrual products. And again, buy our pads. They have giraffes. It's a great way to start that conversation <laughs> about <laughs> menstrual rights. Like, have you Absolutely. seen pads? So yeah, those are my last words. Fantastic, fantastic takeaways. I think that is a really lovely, <laughs> lovely way to end things and, and definitely a, a new one for the Startup Women podcast. That's for sure, Ravimbo. <laughs> well, thank you so much for providing, you know, your advice, your journey, um, and really educating our audience, I think, you know, around menstruation and some of these, these huge um, inequalities that are existing globally that you are actively trying to solve um, through this product. So uh, incredible work. Um, and from everyone at Startup Canada, we can't wait to see where you go next. Thank you so much, Kaylin. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rick Spence and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women.